everyone. Welcome to episode seven of the Aquascaping Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Art. Joining us again today is Sean. And a very special guest, Corey Hopkins. All right. Heck yeah, I'm excited. like to welcome everybody back who's listened to the show before if this is your first time you can check out the rest of the episodes on itunes or at aquascapingpodcast.com when you think of aquascaping you don't typically think of the united states you think of japan china brazil england germany and for good reason they've really refined aquascaping since its inception uh, in Japan from Takashi Yamano. And it makes sense that it was born in Japan considering their rich cultural background uh, in bonsai, in rock gardening, in taking nature and elevating it to an art form. And it's moved slowly west since then. And the United States is kind of like the melting pot. You know, right now we're kind of like this this island, you know, sending out smoke signals and writing in the sand, help, send supplies. You know, I, it's hard for me to find them around here. I have to get everything online, basically. But I think that's changing, and uh, hopefully it'll be easier. But right now, what's happening here and in other parts of the world is this kind of grassroots um, thing that's going on. And people like Corey, who we're going to talk to here in a minute, are really paving the way um, for the people that are going to come into the hobby you know, later on. And for us, uh, they're going to their local hobby stores and, and introducing them to aquascaping, saying, hey, look at this. This is cool. And we're going to do kind of a mini-series here on the Aquascaping Podcast on, you know, the grassroots and kind of the underdogs uh, in the United States and around the world from all over the place. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where, where things go. So uh, enough of me rambling. Let's, let's jump into the interview that Sean and I did with Corey. You know, I think I came across you through Facebook, seeing the things you do with Aquascaping and uh, you want to just tell people who you are, what you do in the hobby, how you got started in the hobby. So kind of an introduce yourself type of type of thing. Um, okay. Well, uh, my name is Corey Hopkins, and um, I started in this hobby actually as a child. Um, of course, not the planted tanks and everything. I didn't hear about that until I was an adult. But as a child, I kept community tanks and all that stuff and all the way until adulthood. So I've kept fish tanks for a long time. The first one I started off with was a 20 long, okay? Standard 20 long, everybody loves those dimensions. So I started with that and it was just a normal planted tank. Wasn't anything special. The uh, How I found out was just pretty much Google. Google's my go-to thing, I, I Google everything. And um, so I was Googling fish tanks and then I saw one of Amano's uh, tanks and I fell in love. After that, I went to uh, the Green Machines YouTube, I found that and then watched a bunch of the uh, Green Machine videos and then fell even more in love. So um, after that, it was just completely over. You know, it was over with and I knew what it was that I wanted to do. You you work at the uh, Rift to Reef Aquatics there and I, and I see on your Facebook page, there's always, you're doing a lot of scapes for them, a lot of planted stuff. You have some Wabi Kusa stuff going on in the, yes, in the store, all of which are really great. Thank you. But that's, you know, to me, that's definitely rare in in the business. Um, you don't see a lot of folks putting together a lot of display tanks and things like that. 
what do you think is holding back stores from doing that? I mean, there's probably not a lot of demand, which I, I think definitely out there, it makes it hard. But yeah. the other side, you know, do you see a change in, in what people think they can do with their aquarium because you have these, these displays in, in the, in the shop? How does that impact? Uh, oh, you know? oh, definitely. I think, I think that it, it, once people come in here, I mean, the, before I came here, the shop was basically saltwater and cichlids, you know, and some community fish and such, a few plants. But, uh, once we came in here and, and started putting these aquascapes in here, people have come in here and literally said, when I, the first time I saw, you know, same thing I for I said when I uh, first saw one of the monoscapes, I've never seen anything like this before in my life, and it's amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. The, the textures are just you know awesome, and the colors, oh my gosh, you know that kind of stuff. So um, as far as feedback from customers, um, that that's the kind of stuff that I get all the time. Um, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I think what's holding um, people back uh, as far as the shops and stuff is um, definitely demand. Is probably number one. But then knowledge of the whole aquascaping community is also another thing that's holding people back. People don't know people that will actually come in and do scapes like I would do. You know, know someone like me to come into their shop and be like, hey, let's, let's put this here, let's do this here, and let me set up some display tanks and see what we can do with this. Yeah, do you think that's something, I mean, hobbyists in areas where they see some potential there's some shops that that might be uh, open to it how do you you know how do hobbyists start that conversation with their shop owners because i know for me i'd love to be have a local shop that i could go in and get some hardscape from buy some plants from i mean i would make an effort to do that i do online because that's the only option i have and so getting them to take it up would be great and how do you how do you think hobbyists can start that conversation with the with their local shops if they have a place they like um, hmm. I think just going in and establishing some sort of a relationship with, you know, maybe one of the people that works there or the owner or whatever, uh, is you, you come in there, you're buying your community fish or you're buying your cichlids or whatever, but still you, you're establishing some kind of a, you know, a connection between you guys. So, um, that establishing that, and then just literally asking, I mean, you come in and you you'd be like, well, um, you guys do anything with plants or you guys do anything with aquascaping and they say what's aquascaping well then you pop out your phone and be like this is aquascaping you know these beautiful tanks setting these things up like this with uh, rock and wood and um, the aqua soils or just sand or whatever you know it's it doesn't have to start you know amazingly fast like hey we need all the ADA setups and all the aquavas stuff and you know all at once you know it just start with a few plants a few hardscape stuff and i think you'll be okay but i think if um yeah if someone actually went in there and engaged with someone and asked them these questions and really a hobbyist went in there just to spread the word about aquascaping period i think that, that would help a lot Corey, what, what's your favorite aquatic plant? Oh, man. Can we do the list of plants that I don't like? Yeah, let's do that. that well, sounds fun. Oh, man. Um, well, there. I think my least favorite plant at this point in time is, uh, is it's got to be Rickia. 
Rikia. <laughs> it's a beautiful plant. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's beautiful and it has great growth patterns and everything. It literally breaks off and it gets into everything. And you can't get rid of it. It's 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 one of those things that you love it, but you love to hate it. You know, it's it's it gets in your moss, it gets in your HC, it gets everywhere, and it just starts thriving and growing their tentacles throughout everything. Right? <laughs> That's so funny you say that. I can actually tell you my my forty five centimeter tank, the last uh, like really finished aquascape I did. I, I planted the back some background with hair grass. Later, I added some stems, and then I decided, hey, let's put a little bit of rickia in around the stones here. <laughs> and so I did that, and then I was like, no, I don't like the rickia in there. So I pulled the stones, and then literally the rickia was all over in the hair grass everywhere to the, the point it was dominating the hair grass. The hair grass was just like scaffolding for this thing to grow on. And yeah. so I had to just own it, and I started trimming it and shaping it like it was some... <laughs> Some type of bush. It worked really well, but that was not the plan. And that was just, that was Rickia's plan is it's not going anywhere. That's true. That's true. I have it invading a couple of my scapes right now. And I just, oh gosh. I love HC, but I don't like how weedy it can get. It, it can literally take over in an entire tank. I have a couple pictures of HC taking over a tank, meaning taking over its hardscape. I mean, it can grow on rocks. It can grow on, I mean, anything. It can grow just floating as a mat. I think in the wild it's a floating mat anyway. But uh, I think HC is a great plant. It's got some great colors, and uh, uh, it can be a little challenging to grow sometimes, which attracts me to it. So. Um, I like say that. that's a tough problem to have if you got your HC growing all over everything. I think most people are, are my, my HC's dying. It's melting. I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, those are those are the folks like me. When I first started, I was determined to grow a carpet of HC, which I now tell everyone, don't do that. Don't no. try to do HC first. Yeah, that's it. It's, yeah, it can be a little difficult for sure. Um, but other than that, I really love the plant. Uh, you keep it trimmed back. I mean, you can trim it to bare bones. And it'll come back with a vengeance. Are you into uh, mosses at all, or, or uh... I love mosses? Yeah, mosses are uh, a big plant that I uh, I work with. Um, all types of different mosses. Um, I like some of the, the smaller stuff, just because of uh, uh, of the couple of scapes that I do. I do a lot of nano tanks, so I like small plants, small structures, small fronds, things like that. So. Um, mosses are great but then again they can also completely take over um and you got to keep them trimmed back even though they look really great when they're you know big and bushy and just a lot of moss in one area but you got to keep it trimmed back as well um but uh mosses are great i mean it's uh, some of the slow growing stuff like the fissidens fontanus um that i love the way that, that the fronds look on fissidens um, any any species of uh, fissidens are really great. Um, and then we get into like the crystal warts like Ricardia. Um, Ricardia is an amazing growth pattern. I love that plant so much. And also it can get weedy as well, just like Rickia. Um, you cut it, little piece gets stuck on a piece of stone or something, then it's there for good and you don't see it for months and all of a sudden you have this huge patch of Ricardia. <laughs> So it's a sneaky plant as well. 
But I, um, I really love that plant. What's uh, do you ever use? Uh, do you ever mix uh, carpeting plants? Uh, I, I, I actually was thinking about my next aquascape, and I'm going online and I'm looking. You know, what do I want to try to carpet? And I've seen a few that are mixed. Um, have you done that with any of your tang? Any of your uh, setups? Oh yeah, definitely. That's that's one of my favorite things to do is uh, have a mixed carpet. The mixed carpet makes it so much more natural. How right. it would be nature. Right? No, I agree. I agree. So I, I think that that's uh, uh, mixed carpeting is is a great thing to do in your tanks just to, to keep it fresh and new. You know, uh, people like the HC carpets. People like just the straight uh, bellum hair grass carpet. That's great. But I want to mix them. I want to take some HC and some Glosso and some Illatine Hydropipper, and I want to mix them all around. I want to I want to see how they'll grow with each other. And um, you know, it, the hair grass is, is awesome because it'll just grow through the HC and looks fantastic. And then the Glosso will grow on top of it. And then along with the Hydropipper, it'll kind of keep the same. I, I, I guess the Hydropipper and the HC kind of have similar looks to it. So I guess you couldn't really tell the difference there. But, um, but I think that it gives it a much more natural look and i and i love mixed carpets it's just it's one of my things (laughs) all right it's time for today's quick tip just another aquascaping quick tip for you guys uh many of you may run into this uh, oily bioorganic film that builds up on the surface of the water in your aquascapes uh, one of the best ways to deal with that is to add a small skimming device. ADA makes the Vupo one, um, but there's one that I like to use. It's a lot cheaper called the Eheim Skim 350. Uh, add that, and that's going to take care of that film on the top of your tank. Uh, if you have one of those, you may have a different problem, and that is shrimp or fish being pulled into uh, into the device. And so you can actually take, and this isn't my idea, but I saw it, I'm using it, and I love it. Uh, you can take the bottom of our potted plants uh, from the ones with the rock wool and cut it so that it will fit in the uh, in between the um, straining slits and actually make them smaller, which will prevent shrimp and fish from getting caught inside there. It works great. I used to have a pile of shrimp in there every week when I would clean it out, and now I hardly find any, if even one. I'll try to get some pictures onto the website so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, check out aquascapingpodcast.com. Uh, look for the show notes, and you'll be able to find uh, some pictures so you can make one for yourself. As always, thanks for listening, and keep on aquascaping. When I'm actually sitting down and planning a tank, um, it, it could take me months. Like right now, I'm working on a 60p scape. And I've had this tank for six months now. (laughs) And I've been working on, um, you know, I've done a a few little mock-ups. And then I'll start gathering hardscape. And then, uh, you know, usually that plan goes out the window or, you know, something like that. It's kind of just an artistic thing. It's like, okay, I mean, I can plan for it a little bit. But then, you know, when it comes to brass tacks, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm here. I got all this artscape. Let's see what I can create. So, so ultimately, it's it's kind of organic. It's like you could plan it to a degree, but it really kind of comes down to you know what you were able to collect and, and what you have in front of you, uh, and, and what inspires you. Exactly.
That's exactly correct. Yeah. Jay, you mentioned that uh, you know James Finley of the Green Machine has has kind of said that it's good to be in the moment when you're escaping, in a sense, you know, not to follow all these rules and things because then you start to lose the soul of the aquascape. And I think um, I definitely can relate to to Corey's process because you know I find myself doing the same thing. I'll have an idea of the hardscape or. Uh, of the plants I'm going to use or things like that. But then when I sit down in front of the tank, you know, it's likely some things might just go out the window there because I have, have an idea that just pops into my head and I just go with it. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's where we talk about having that lots of hardscape available because then you're not really boxed in as much as you would be if you have, you know, only five rocks to work with. Oh, exactly. Then you're stuck. Yeah, that's, that's a recommendation that I always give people is start with as much hardscape as possible i mean just like enough for two or three tanks you know if you can do it just just so you have that many more options you know it's like um uh, throw a rock somewhere and see if you love it if you love it then great work around it if you hate it take it out put it somewhere else or use another rock now i was on your your facebook page and i think i saw uh it looked like a, a fish bowl yeah, yeah, I have a couple of them. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, well, the, I guess the real colorful one, that one with a bunch of plants in it, that, that's probably my favorite bowl that I've done. Um, it, it literally had a tiny hang-on-the-back filter that I put sideways in there, and it, it, it happened to work. It was so hard to get it to prime, but <laughs> I got it primed, and it worked great, right? So, And then... Um, as far as the CO2 system, I, I just used DIY CO2, like yeast and sugar for the longest time on it. And I would tap it directly into the intake of the, of the small HOB. And um, just, you know, so I didn't have to put any kind of diffuser or anything in there. So, um, which worked fantastic. Um, as a, a small little piece of manzanita in there. I, I kind of, it started out as an experiment. A lot of my stuff starts out as experiments and to see if I can do it. So I put this bowl together because I saw it somewhere. I'm like, okay, it's cheap. It was like 14 bucks. I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna take this. I have this filter here. I have a little extra uh, wood. I have a little extra aqua soil and I have these plants and I have this light. So, okay, well, I'm gonna put this together. So I put it together and it started out with some plants that were, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you, that were gonna be way too big for that tiny little bowl two and a half gallons is that bowl so uh, so i ended up yanking those out and adding other um rare plants that i happened to come across um you know from other hobbyists like Hahn and thomas bartlett and stuff like that so um so i put those in there and they just absolutely went nuts and it got to the point where it's like okay well this is a gorgeous thing i'm like wow i haven't seen this around anywhere so i took pictures of it and videos and stuff and uh, it was a hit. It was absolutely a hit. It got shared all over the place, and it still gets shared to this day. And um, that I, I really I love that bowl. the The second bowl that I set up is here at Rifter Reef Aquatics, and uh, it's it's really like a minimalist type scape. It's one rock. It's a manzanita in a tree with some moss, and now we have shrimp in there right now. So use the same method. There's no CO2 in this one actually. So I use the same method as far as the HOB um, and a small little clip on light and it's doing fantastic. So um, that's cool. 
Yeah. Yeah, I love the the planted uh, bull you did. I mean, that was just so cool. I'd never seen a really a bull well done, and I don't think I've seen one as well done as that since. So, um, Jay made the comment that it looks like um, those little bubbles you see on the ADA uh posters or the catalogs or things when they do the aquascaping bubbles and that's what it looks like you know those pictures of it and that's that's very cool thank you i appreciate that sean you use uh uh automizers is it automizers or automizers i'm not even atomizers atomizers okay is uh you guys both are using those and i i haven't got there yet i've only used the in-tank diffusers and you know this may be a newbie question i guess i'm asking both of you um but uh, my tank is full of of bubbles uh it's completely full with these uh, co2 bubbles uh and when i see a lot of them on online uh or these videos the the water's like crystal clear is that is that actually normal to have that many uh bubbles in the tank i think Right off the bat, and this is something I think people, especially when they first get in the hobby, don't realize, is that when people are taking photos and videos and presenting them, they might not be running their CO2 or they might not be running all their pumps or things like that that you see keep the tank healthy. They're not always doing that. So sometimes, you know, you got to think about what what are they doing just to present the tank here? Now, me, I, I got away from inline atomizers and a couple tanks uh, to inline reactors because of the bubbles. Um, it was just driving me nuts. They looked like they were swimming in Sprite, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, especially when you're running that high light, you need a lot of CO2, so you get a lot of bubbles in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was getting tired of that look. It's effective. Um, so I switched to, to inline reactors on my 30-centimeter and my 90-centimeter tank, and you don't get that. But with every method, there's there's gives and there's takes. You know, there's there's uh, you might gain something, you might lose something. So for me, with the inline reactors, if the filter is backing up or it's it's due for maintenance, sometimes the flow through on the reactor can slow, and then your CO two dissolution slows, and so then you might have a fluctuation in your CO two injection, which you wouldn't get if you had an inline atomizer because it's not gonna kind of clog up in the same way or the flow through of the reactor is really important for dissolving your co2 and so that can be a bit of a challenge with reactors uh, making sure that the flow through them is is consistent and that's why recently i've tried to look a lot at um seeing if i can get a canister filter or get something put together with a pressurated pump on the top. I know that's what ADA uses, but there's no way I'm going to spend a grand on a filter. <laughs> so I'm seeing how how I can maybe uh, rig something up that that would be able to handle that added pressure of the reactor, and and also with the you know the over the course of the filters um, operating in cycle between cleanings, without losing the flow. Right. I know a lot of people don't like snails. I love snails. I always add snails to all my, all my tanks. Just to, you know, as it's cycling and and stuff like that. And plus, they're good algae eaters and things. But you know, and then once they get crazy, and they always do in my tanks. I'm not gonna lie, they go crazy. Um, <laughs> I, I I'll get in there and I'll siphon them out. You know. I think I I'm in agreement with the snails thing. I I've never been worried about them unless you know. Then they go nuts sometimes. It's like okay, now I got should probably take care of them because they're they're ruining the scene a little bit um i've used assassin snails in the past which have been really really effective um i actually tried snail traps once that was a waste of time and money (laughs) Um, it's not work 
No. Um, so yeah, I do the same thing. I'll siphon them out and I'll I'll use some assassin snails if I really want to cut them back. Um, but yeah. they don't bother me much at all. They do a job in there, so exactly uh, a job I appreciate them doing. Exactly. I mean, I, I always say it one hundred percent part of a natural ecosystem is a snail. Period. I mean, you gotta have your invertebrates in there to take care of different things. You know, just the small stuff, the tiny little nooks and crannies that the the fish can't get to. You know, your autosynclus is small, but it still can't get into a tiny little crack in wood or something like that. So um, that's why I love my snails. I suppose I do have I have one more thing. Maybe uh, Corey can help us settle a little disagreement Jay and I have here. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, so could an aquascape be part of an art gallery? Do you think? Ah, oh, this this question is one hundred percent yes. I I do. They are living works of art themselves. So you think about it. Most art, I mean, of course, the you you have the sculptures and things like that, but a lot of art doesn't evolve into something even more beautiful or even evolve into something even more ugly you know what i'm saying for so as far as like hey i didn't trim and all my plants are looking like crap (laughs) and i have algae everywhere so uh but i i absolutely do think that um aquascapes can be um a part of an art gallery yeah i think it'd be great you see you see a lot of just aquascape only galleries. I mean, there's some places in Europe I know, and some shops that'll do little gallery places. Mm. Um, do you think it could be right in there next to some paintings and some sculptures? You know, as as its own uh, display, or does it need to be a kind of a, an aquascape gallery? Only that. That's a really great question. Um, uh, I think, as an artist, uh, you know, in, in an artistic sense, it can definitely be with paintings and sculptures and stuff. Because if you think about it, it's art. Why couldn't art be with art? You know, um, I think it could be both. To answer your question, it can be with with paintings and everything like that. But then it could also be by itself. And I don't I don't know if it would be more effective if it was by itself or with paintings and sculptures and such like that. Um, maybe if the paintings and sculptures kind of tied into the theme of the aquascape or aquascaping period then that might be a little easier to comprehend. But other than that, you know, I think that, yeah, that's my, that's my look on that. Great. Thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts. And uh, Jay, it looks like he's with me on this one. (laughs) I think I might be changing my answer a little bit. Something you said that, that that struck me is, you know, uh, aquascaping might be one of the only art forms that actually does or can become better and more beautiful over time. Uh, I can't think of anything else that actually does it. So that was a good point. I, I like what you said there. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, that was one I've always thought about that. It's, it's always my selling point on scaping for people. It's, it's, it's a living, breathing work of art that constantly evolves and never stops. Hey, real quick, Corey, um, you know, if folks are listening and they're in your area, you want to just tell them kind of where they can come see your skates, where they can see your work at, um, just in case they want to do that? Yeah, sure. I'm here at uh, Rifter Reef Aquatics here in Flower Mound, Texas. Um, I'm here Monday through Thursday. And, um, of course, my skates are here all the time. You can come 
come up here and uh, shoot the breeze with me or um, come check out my scapes anytime. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up the show here. Thanks again for joining us on the Aquascaping Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate on iTunes. And visit the website, aquascapingpodcast.com. Send in your photos and questions to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. Have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you next time.